Welcome to today's podcast episode of Let's Talk Secure Cloud Networking with your host, Newman Mustafa, and myself, John Gonzalez. So today, we're really excited to be joined by not just one, but two of our very own cloud solution specialists who recently joined us from Microsoft Azure, where they were, where they were part of the global Black Belt team. And for those of you who don't know what the Azure Black Belt team is, this is the most elite of elite cloud architects in Azure. And we're fortunate to have such high caliber people join us today and share some of their cloud experiences, their vision, their thought leadership in customer learnings, but also to give our audience a sense of how customers and CSPs are thinking about and approaching what we would call the most fundamental, but also the most critical part of the cloud infrastructure stack, which is the cloud networking and security layer. So I'm not gonna waste any more time and introduce straight away Brian Woodworth, Woodworth, also known as Woody and Tony Beck. Woody, Tony, welcome to our podcast. Please take a few minutes to introduce yourselves, why you decided to join Aviatrix, what you're doing here at Aviatrix, and also a bit on your background for our audience. Woody, please go ahead. Oh, thanks, John. Thanks, Naman. Nice to be here. Yeah, um, gosh. So I was a black belt, as you mentioned, um, focusing on network and security. There was a separate black belt team that did application level security and focused on solutions like. Um, uh, our SIM solution or SIEM solution and security center and so forth. But I was front and center in the networking security stack. So that would have been firewall and WAF and uh, embedded security in the network and so on and so forth. So um, as I help customers move and migrate to cloud and build new workloads, I noticed still that they were really struggling with adopting native cloud technologies as it came to networking security. And that's, this was adding a lot of time and frustration to uh, the build process. And I also noticed that security professionals and IT professionals were gasping for air because the cloud was so agile, it was scaling quicker than they could secure it, right? And there was always this retroactive motion where they were trying to reel new footprints back in, make them comply, make them secure. Uh, and then finally, you know, connectivity, of course, was a big part of my job. And I started noticing maybe in 2019, going into 2020. And then when COVID hit, of course, in 2020, this accelerated to a great extent that customers were really going multi-cloud. So a lot of my conversations about connectivity would involve customers saying, well, listen, we have this part of an application and another, another cloud. How do we make it work with, with Azure? Um, and those conversations kept accelerating to the point where I knew multi-cloud was a thing. Um, and that really kind of led me to coming over to Aviatrix eventually because I believe Aviatrix had a fantastic multi-cloud story with uh, the way that they approach security and networking. So that's a little bit about me. That's awesome, Woody. And again, welcome. Tony, how about you? Give us a bit yeah, of Yeah, thank you, guys. Story. Yeah. Uh, hi, John. Hi, Norman. Hi, Woody. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so why, why I joined uh, Aviatrix? Um, uh, it's uh, uh, it's a little bit of a story there. So um, I've been with Microsoft as an overall uh, cloud solution architect, and uh, I also have a, a history with Cisco. So my background is in, in networking as well. So um, when I joined uh, when I joined Microsoft, I um, yeah, naturally I uh, was working a lot with the networking guys and networking concepts uh, with the customers because of my background. And uh, we got some of these uh, customers kind of started from zero to here at Microsoft uh, with their journey into the cloud. So um, 
yeah, when I started with some of them, um, it was interesting to see that they, they, they had to first build up the, the knowledge, right? So they, they were building up teams, also building up knowledge um, to, to be ready to move to the cloud. And then we kind of started them, started them up, helped help them with governance, uh, with the network setup and everything. And uh, it was interesting because um, after one or one and a half years, uh, once they kind of gained the knowledge and then made the step into the cloud, they became more confident, right? And they started to look from a single vendor or single, single CSP strategy into a, a multi-cloud strategy. And um, so this was very interesting to see for me that once uh, the customers are mature in one, in one cloud platform, they, they start to kind of pick the services from the CSP, from the cloud service provider where they run best. And this was when I, uh, when I came across the Aviatrix platform um, that the platform is really bridging the gaps there and kind of helps the customers to, to normalize the network setup. And um, yeah, this is when I got into it. And now it's everything, my network background, my, my background in the cloud seems to come together with Aviatrix. That's fantastic as well, Tony. We're so fortunate to have both of you here at Aviatrix. It's great. So uh, welcome, Woody and uh, Tony. This is Noman. Uh, great to have you here um, uh, as part of Aviatrix. Um, now, a couple of things I, I wanted to ask about, and I think, uh, Tony, you mentioned that into your, uh, into your Why Aviatrix uh, journey. Uh, I think overall, if you look at uh, customers, uh, I think for, a lot of customers, they started four years, five years ago, uh, their uh, digital transformation journey to the cloud. And obviously they have learned things over time, right? And um, there are also uh, things that have accelerated uh, the growth of cloud um, and in general that cloud adoption. Um, and I think uh, in your experience, maybe, you know, Woody and Tony, both of you maybe can answer this, right? Is are the reasons of moving to the cloud are they are more prominent? Why people are moving to the cloud? I know that pandemic have accelerated the growth. We all know that, right? And obviously, you know, we can all see that 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 IaaS and and just making sure that you have infrastructure is available on demand is not the only reason. Uh, in your opinion, why are customers moving to the cloud now? And what have they learned in terms of the overall maturity? in the journey, what have they learned so far? So what is your going to be take? Maybe Tony, you can take the first one and then uh, Woody, you can answer that. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, uh, organizations have uh, different reasons to, to move to the cloud. So obviously there's agility reasons. Um, there's also reasons that uh, people are under pressure to close down data centers, right? Um, so it, it's not only coming from technology, but it's also a lot of uh, a, a business discussion, right? So um maybe some uh, euros or dollars can be can be saved there when closing data centers and maybe kind of make the platforms uh, the on-premises platform slimmer when moving to the cloud so um that's that's some of the drivers i i see there um it's not it's not only technical from my perspective also if you have smaller organizations i think uh, time to market uh, plays a role there um you have all the you know, the drivers from the developer's uh, point of view that the CICD kind of continuous development pipelines are being implemented and, and that kind of stuff. So there's lots of uh, pressure from the, from the business side to be, to be agile and to be, to be quick in developing things and, and bringing it to the customer, right? Yep. Woody, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> 
Yeah, uh, Tony nailed it. I'll, I'll just dive a little further into some of those points. Agility, innovation, and scale, right? And we could spend a lot of time talking about each pillar or each leg of the stool, but you know, to be brief, agility obviously is a little bit more than infrastructure is code, but that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, containers are starting to pick up now, so the ability to make a workload truly uh, you know, micro-segmented and to turn it on and turn it off as you kind of need it. Um, and to build it and destroy it as you kind of need it gives people a new approach to application design and uh, maintenance that, like Tony said, that's a CICD kind of motion um, that helps businesses and enterprises both develop and move their applications to market more quickly. And so if you're not into that uh, mindset, you know, you're going to be um, losing out to the competition that is, right? If they can bring their service out to market and have it tested and production ready in a half or a quarter of the time you do, um, you know, they're going to get to your customers first. Um, so cloud obviously enables that if you embrace or, or are enabled to embrace um, some of the capabilities that cloud offers. And, you know, not everyone that moves to cloud can embrace that, right? So it's not just about moving to cloud, it's about moving to cloud successfully, which is a, a whole different thing. Um, but we can talk about that later. But then the second pillar, which is innovation, right? It's not that you can't be innovative on-prem or in a data center. It's that clouds offer these big, vibrant marketplaces of PaaS and SaaS services, um, either that vendors are bringing in the marketplace, or of course, they are building and staging themselves more, more commonly. And it's the ability to get to all these services. I called this in my LinkedIn article, the resort effect, right? Even though they're not doing these services uh, to the perfect degree that, say, a dedicated boutique vendor could, they're offering so many and they're able to interconnect them and use them in concert that it's, it's irresistible, right? So for example, um, one of my last uh, designs I was doing prior to moving to Aviatrix was working with a very large, well-known uh, insurance company. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use their name here, but you've seen their commercials on TV all the time. And they were developing a, a new platform that was a mobile platform in Azure um, that was going to do uh, virtual claims right when the accident happened. So you could open your mobile phone, you could launch their app and start dictating the circumstances of the incident. Maybe it was a bumper uh, banger, you know, a fender bender, maybe it was a tree that fell on your garage, whatever. And it was using text-to-speech and machine learning and uh, um, a mobile mobility suite to begin the claims process automatically. And it's because the customer could bolt these three or four suites together that they are able to offer this experience. So if you think about how that's going to help them lead uh, against their competition, I mean, to just have an insurance app where you can just start a claims process right when the incident happens and start the whole, you know, um, reimbursement process there. I mean, that's going to be a significant market value, right? And then the third one, uh, finally, to be brief, scalability. And it's not just about elastic virtual machines. What I mean is when you build infrastructure in the cloud, in the major CSPs, you're getting access to a huge global network and a whole services that run globally. So before where my business was constrained to run within a theater or maybe just a region or maybe just a, a part of a geo or something, I can tap into an entire global mesh of infrastructure. I can build applications that can communicate across the globe um, and service customers across the globe. And that that's huge and, and can't be understated. Uh, so there you go. Hey, Woody, I'd like to suggest the fourth leg of that stool. Um, but I'd like both yours and Tony's opinion on it. Um, security in that CSPs 
and at Microsoft Azure are no different. They offer vanilla flavor security, vanilla flavor constructs, et cetera. So what are customers, what did you see your customers at Azure do to, to bolster the um, security natively provided? Or didn't they, did they just accept those? Especially you mentioned the security um, customer that you just spoke about. How did they cope with the security or did they feel it was sufficient? Um, and if they didn't feel it was sufficient, what did they do to improve their security posture? Yeah, maybe Woody, oh. I can I can pick that one up uh, with the story of my of one of my customers I, I started there with. And it was interesting for me to see that um, uh, when we kind of yeah started from zero there, then we we started to to set up the network from from zero, build up the landing zone, the shared services network, and then uh, what John mentioned people start to look into security. So how do we make it secure then? And, uh, and then we started looking into the details um, of, the, uh, yeah, of, the, of the security constructs natively provided, right? And then uh, people are kind of surprised that uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's a, it's a complex task to first understand it, right? And then uh, secondly, deploy it. And uh, thirdly, have someone... Um, yeah, being able to operate it, right? Um, that's 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 another topic. So, um, so what many people end up with is, uh, is uh, you know, additionally to to the native constructs, uh, for example, in Azure, is that they deploy kind of third-party firewalls in there, which is which opens up a, a, a total different story there from the complexity point of view, right? Because uh, the routing has to take place. Um, you have to. Uh, yeah, kind of do the the routing constructs yourself to the third-party firewalls. So that adds a lot of complexity from my point of view. And um, that's something I saw really the people are struggling with, right? And the interesting story then comes when they go into, into another CSP with a multi-cloud construct, right? They, they have to do the same thing again and learn the native constructs and also see how third-party vendors integrate in that which then adds another layer of complexity on top of that. So that's uh, it was kind of, kind of interesting to see for me that that's the same for well, almost every organization adopting uh, public cloud these days. Yeah. And I think it's a lot, lot of it has also to do with, with the maturity, right? So a lot of customers who starts to move into the cloud, I mean, the first thing they do is basically they go and talk to the CSP providers or, or maybe a partner that's basically is, uh, sort of in a way offering what CSP is telling them. So in a way, they in the last four or five years, they've started to build like a more like a DIY type of an architecture where, okay, I assume that cloud is secure. So there are a lot of assumptions in terms of, you know, how things will be. But I think what people are realizing is the security postures are, are all different and they are all different in a very different way in terms of what type of solutions you would be using. And in a way that and the big enterprise are getting matured that, Security actually is not a shared responsibility. It's their responsibility, right? They have to have control. They need to build things because let's say if there's a breach in the outage, a CSP will not take ownership of that, that breach. It's basically supposed to be your responsibility, whether it's a ransomware or a botnet or, you know, uh, you know a, 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 any other uh, type of a, a lateral movement that's happening into your network. It's your responsibility. And I think not knowing how cloud works is no longer a reason because your CEO, CIOs and business decision makers are already moving their mission critical applications and they expect the networking team, the security team, obviously DevOps initially showed that this cloud works, but now it's the responsibility of networking security teams to make sure 
that the crown jewels that are moving into the cloud are protected, right? And the customer's data is protected. Uh, posture needs to be well understood. There's no longer the time where you can just move your Palo Altos from on-prem to the cloud, right? Because the, uh, all the cloud, uh, you know, uh, uh, traffic patterns are all different. Uh, the hackers are getting sophisticated. Lateral movements are happening from inside the cloud. Uh, so it's very important to understand the posture. And this is where I think, to be honest, why Vitrix comes in, right? Because it's a centralized network platform, security platform that is by default secure in nature and give the ability to customers to own the data so that you can protect it, you can identify the threats, and you can do a lot of interesting things uh, in terms of uh, securing your data. So maybe Woody, you can also chime in that, you know, in your experience, obviously you used to work with customers pretty much um, you know, uh, every day at Azure, right? Helping people with their digital transformation journey. And obviously they have transformed in the way uh, the cloud works. Their, their understanding is also improving. CSP is also getting to know better how enterprise works. So what would be your recommendation in terms of a, a new customer who is moving to the cloud in terms of what should be their approach in terms of how to build this future-proof architecture um, and, and advice for the customers in CSP in terms of what will help them accelerate and be successful in the cloud. Because at the end of the day, people want to not only just move, but they want to be successful. And then, then when they become successful, they accelerate the adoption as well and realize the true value of the cloud. But, but all the while being secure, right? Absolutely. Right. Well, that, that was it. That was the rub, right? I mean, that was a big reason why my job existed. And I can't water it down to fit into a, you know, elegantly into a five or 10 minute block, but yeah. you know, I'll hit some, some high level themes. Cause I would talk to hours for, so excuse me, talk to customers for, for hours about this. Cause it was one of the biggest challenges, but you know, from, from my perspective, I don't see security as a, as another leg of the stool, meaning that people don't move to the cloud to become more secure. Their on-prem mm -hmm. environments are secure. They've spent years and millions or even billions of dollars mm -hmm. uh, to create this effort. The security is, um, a, it, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a, it's maybe at best a speed bump or a, a roadblock to them because the tools are different. The approach is different. Um, it's an apple to an orange, not an apple to an apple, right? So it's not something that entices. It's something that creates headaches and frustrations uh, to some degree because it's really an embedded system. Um, like Tony said, you end up, they, uh, security professionals and IT people end up bringing in what they know and trust. So we end up with a lot of these traditional firewalls and security appliances as virtual instances in the cloud. Clouds use routed fabrics. They don't use what we call a layer two fabric, which is a switched fabric. And the difference between those causes, like Tony said, a lot of consternation with getting the routes right. Um, so I would recommend to, um, security and IT professionals to help them with their journey to cloud. First, collaborate with networking and application folks if you're not collaborating already. Because mm -hmm. cloud fabrics are layer three fabrics, networking and protocols like BGP and other routing protocols and connectivity are going to be an inherent critical part of the security architecture. It's no longer just about bolting on a firewall and then focusing on the firewall. Security needs to be embedded end-to-end -end and orchestrated end-to-end -end and an inherent part of the plan and architecture. So it is not an afterthought or a bolt-on. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, you know, you, you need to collaborate with the application owners and developers because they are going to be the ones pushing and pressing against this model um, because they are needing to build and harness that agility and innovation we talked about, which challenges the typical security approach of let's move carefully and thoughtfully 
um, when it comes to building apps in cloud, it is no longer carefully and thoughtfully. It is breakneck pace, right? <laughs> yeah. So you have to develop a security model that can keep up with that and move from a reactive to a proactive stance. You have to have control and visibility. And those two words are, are so important. So it's, I saw companies going down the wrong path when they would address these architectural issues as silos. Oh, we're going to do the network. Okay, network people go away. We're going to do the security thing. Now security people go away. Now we're going to do the application. Now application people go away, right? And Tony, you might recognize that in correct motion as well. Uh, this, this caused um, a lot of wasted time and money. And to some degree, certainly some of the, the prospects I talk to, especially the larger enterprises, that's still the case, would you believe? They, they I don't want to use the word pretend, but they, they kind of come together and have their discussions, but then they disperse and they're still working in their silos. You know? um, yes. So it is difficult. But just, just staying on the security topic then, so if, if, the, if a customer is using the native security constructs and we know there's you know, a, um, a lack of, let's say a lack of control, lack of visibility because the CSPs you know, want you to take it for granted that they're secure, everything's in place, no need to worry about anything. So how do they then, you know, where is that trust factor? Where is that line where the customer says, well, actually, look, it's not that I don't trust you, but I, I need to put my own um, you know, my own controls in place. Do you see that happening a lot? Or, or customers holding up their hand and say, okay, CSP, over to you. Tell me what you got. Nobody. Tony, you can take that. Yeah, go, go Tony, you what got I'm, that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, it's a very good question, John, um, because what I saw there is that uh, the, the visibility part um is uh, is pretty much neglected there right um so the visibility platforms if you want so uh, within the the cloud providers there are from my perspective and i was surprised about that pretty pretty limited and they are siloed as well right you kind of have to search around put together a couple of things uh, within the within the platform and then also do your logging right and then uh, yeah go into log analytics and and try to get the information out there so I was kind of surprised that with the native construct, it's very complex and, you know, it's not, it's not really there to, to have a day, a zero day one visibility of, of what's going on. And, and now coming back to, to uh, what, why I joined here, when I first saw the solution, um, I was very surprised uh, that um, the kind of that overlay solution is out of the box, you know, able to create a very good amount of visibility and an awesome amount of visibility that I haven't had before within the platform, right? Mm -hmm. And um, this is because, yeah, the data is basically flowing through the AVHX platform, right? So we can, uh, yeah, get the information directly from, from the data going through the platform. And this really helps creating that visibility, right? From, from the beginning on. Yeah. And I think this is uh, this is why uh, John, in my opinion, uh, this whole market of secure cloud networking that Evitrix mm -hmm. is is creating makes so much sense, right? Because in in old world, right, in on-prem world, when Cisco came out with networking, security was an afterthought, and there's the reason why mm -hmm. these companies like firewall companies and IDS IPS companies they were formed because it, it, these features were not available in networking platforms of Cisco, 
right? It was it was an afterthought. Now the way cloud is doing that this is not an afterthought, and this is what Evitrix is leading with. The security is an embedded part, and I think this is why I agree with Woody that this is not the fourth part or fourth part leg of the stool. It's basically embedded into the networking, where if you can see the data, if you can control the data, then you can protect it and you can enforce security right into the data plane. This is what Evitrix Secure Cloud Networking is going to do for our customers, and this is why this is so so transformational in the way how networking security happens in the cloud, uh, because we are doing it the right way this time around. We are not going to follow the old world where you know it, everything happened as an afterthought, and that's why all these uh, plethora of security vendors came out. We will control the security, and yeah, there will be some specialized, you know, AI-based, L7-based things that yeah, you might be able to bolt on, but most of the thing will be built into the networking and security fabric. But coming back to um, uh, the, the point that Woody raised, right, and I think he gave some great examples of why people are moving to the cloud because it's not just about CapEx and OpEx and, you know, just, you know, shut down my data centers. Also about, you know, CIOs and CEOs trying to make decisions because, you know, there may be existential threat, right? There will be like 20, 30 old companies who are doing hosted services in the on-prem world. And now you have born in the cloud vendors, 50, you know, 50 people company can actually take your business away. Maybe they start offering B2C type of services, right? Maybe they start to... Um, cater more to the millennials and Gen Zs of the world who are more digital world uh, type of uh, clientele, right? Which wants to work like Woody said, right? They want to be able to open the claim right in the car when, when an incident happens. On the mobile phones, they are not old school people or clientele. So a lot of businesses, they are like leveraging the power of AI and machine learning and the services that are already available in the marketplace to continue to use in the at the speed of the fingertips, right, and be able to leverage that new business models. But another key angle to this is all about also skills, right? Because people are moving to the cloud, they want to move fast, but then they they have so many people who have stuck with on-prem world, and they want to be able to leverage the the cloud, but skills does not exist, right? And this is where I think I want to move to uh, GSI and partners play. Uh, in this uh, in this world now where, where, where we are in. And I think about a year ago, I predicted that the new world or cloud world will be will be taken up by the GSIs and, and, the, and the cloud integrators or born in the cloud partners, right? Who have sort of embraced the cloud skills and they have people who knows how to help customers with a digital uh, transformation journey. I think Steve Bellini, who's a CEO, right? He keeps saying that whenever the business transformation happens every 20, 30 years, the bags of money gets thrown in the air. And it falls to the people who have embraced and who have learned the skills of tomorrow. And this is where I think I'm seeing that why GSIs and born in the cloud partners like SVA or you know, Accentures of the world or TCS, Wipro, HCL, these are the type of people who have spent time in learning the cloud and helping people with the cloud journey. But a lot of our big customers are now expecting them to, to have you know, solutions like Evitrix as part of their portfolio because at the end of the day, they want to have a future-proof um, multi-cloud uh, platform or solution available into their portfolio. And then I was just talking to my ACE learning management team and that tells me that there are already like 2,000 people from Accenture who was ACE certified, which is basically our ACE certified engineer <clears throat> a certification certification track and about 1,500 people already registered same thing happening with TCS and then Wipros and HCLs of the world, where they are basically rapidly embracing the platform, trying to help customers with their digital transformation journey. So 
in your experience, Woody and, and Tony, right? How important do you think this trend is in terms of, you know, cloud ready partners or one of the cloud partners or GSIs that I mentioned to embrace uh, the new capabilities and not just think of the DIY of old world because four or five years ago, there, there are certain ways of doing things. Things are maturing, things are becoming more and more better. So what will be your advice to these partners and GSIs and in general, how do you see the trend improving? Okay, I'll, I'll put my, my local color on it. Um, and again, this is anecdotal just based on, on my unique experience or kind of unique experience. There were, of course, a, a team of us, but you know, Black Belt saw a, a very special part of the world. Um, your Fortune 100, mm -hmm. you know, give or take a few businesses, they have the resources, the, the label, uh, the, you know, the market presence to train and retain top cloud talent. And their relationship with the GSIs is um, important, but not um, critical. They, they will pull in GSIs to help them scale, kind of as like additional boots on the ground, right? But they get cloud, they're committed to it, and they have the muscle, if you will, to, to hire and, and retrain top talent. But then there's everybody else, right? There's a whole lot of market out there that isn't a Fortune 100 company. And they are the ones that may not have... Um, the capability to retain or, or find cloud talent because as we've all discussed cloud talent uh is hard to come by and you know these folks are expensive and they're, they're hard to retain because they're always jumping from uh, one opportunity to the next better opportunity as the market kind of demands so for these other uh customers and that you know thousands of them um gsis play a critical role right they fill that gap and mm -hmm. um it's really hard for a business that's in this position to hit their goals and projects on time um, without a GSI. And now that multi-cloud is really fired up, they've become even more important because even if you have a bunch of folks that's trained at say Azure, trying to pivot them to uh, learn say Google or AWS is, is no mean feat, right? That's, that's really, you, you either have to use a GSI or you have to hire new people and that's not practical. So multi-cloud almost demands it, right? And I think GSIs, they offer not just providing that sort of service to help implement and maybe even for data operations, but it can also help train your staff that, are, that may be lacking the skills. They may understand one cloud, but as you go multi-cloud, they don't have the time or the capacity to go and learn another cloud and then another cloud on top of that. So GSIs are a good way to, to help train your existing staff who, who may have a, you know, that skills gap as well. So they're a good thing. The right GSI. And I think Tony, uh, yeah. Tony, I think in Germany also, right? I think uh, the, the partners like SVA are playing a key role for customers in the digital transformation journey just because of the skills that, because it's no longer a, a you know, resell play, right? Because there's nothing to resell. Yeah. You're not selling hardware routers or switches and all of these hardware firewalls. Everything is now being catered by CSPs, right? So what matters to you is the what skills you are bringing to the table and how you're helping customers with the digital job, the digital transformation journey. I think the SVA is probably is in the same bucket. Um, who's uh, who's top yeah. of the game? Absolutely. So what what you say is absolutely true. And from my perspective, uh, it it totally makes sense to be trained on the latest on the latest technology, right? It always makes sense, and I think uh, it applies to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. It applies to people working. Yeah, it, it it applies. To, for myself, right? For all of us, for the partners out there, for the systems integrators, for the customers, it all always makes sense to be to be trained on the latest stuff, 
And uh, yeah, I think SVA is a, is a perfect example there. They're innovative. They, they want to be ahead of things. And, and so they will be in the future, I think. It's great. Good. Guys, we're coming close to time. Um, how about one or two things to leave our audience with, lessons learned, what to avoid, pitfalls that you come across? Any anecdotes that you want to leave our audience with? Woody? Sure. Well, just off the top of my head, um, again, reiterating my earlier point, uh, really work carefully with your cloud architecture team to lay the foundation first. Get your network and your security architecture buttoned up first. If you're multi-cloud, do look at a solution like Aviatrix that gives you a uniform, continuous end-to-end solution, um, which can really help speed up cloud adoption for your application owners, but build it right the first time at the foundational level. The network must scale so the app can prevail. That's Mm -hmm. my two cents. That's a nice rhyme. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's pretty well. Tony, what about you? Go ahead. So I, I agree on that one. So don't make the mistake and uh, um, get into DIY and then try to repeat it somewhere else, right? Get into it uh, right away. And uh, to touch on the last point we discussed, uh, get certified, uh, get your knowledge built up and be ahead of things. And uh, that would be that would be my, uh, my thing to, to leave the audience with. Yeah, I think that... Um... You know, in, in old worlds, when people used to think architecture and, and, and they, they used to think that, hey, this is just going to be, take uh, too long of a time. In cloud world, it's not the case, right? So it, you, may have, you may not have all the requirements clear as an architect in front of you, but you know that where the market is heading, you know what the business can ask you to do. So you can build that multi-cloud network architecture, even if you are in single cloud but making sure that you have availability, performance, cost, security, all taken care of in an architectural format. I think a lot of our time that we spent in the solution engineering team and architecture team here at Matrix is about educating architects with how you should be building your architecture because your business will come to you and expect you to be able to move with the speed of cloud. And you need to, if you have an architecture in mind, it's an easy, easy life. But if not, then you will have to redo and you may get stuck with one cloud constructs, you, you may get stuck with one cloud uh, capabilities, uh, but tomorrow you may have to tap into uh, services from other cloud as well. And things are really fast. So once you build an architecture, it's all marketplace driven, it's all cloud-like, it's all agile, it's all terraform driven. So there's no delay like you used to have in on-prem world. There's no hardware to procure, right? Things are on demand, things are agile, services are there on fingertips. You can integrate. So make life easier for your DevOps team, for your applications team, for your businesses to be able to catch that new trend, catch that new strategy against your competition and be able to help your business because that's what your CEOs and CIUs are thinking. So yeah, thanks for right. attending. This yeah. is really, really great insight for our audiences. It's fantastic, guys. So, so great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. We'll